Welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. We're here to bring you helpful information from leading experts and give you effective tools and support. I'm Jason Grigla, a licensed counselor and founder of Techie for Life, a specialized mentoring program for neurodiverse young adults. And I'm Debbie Grigla, a certified life coach. And maybe most importantly, we're also parents to our own atypical young adults. Hello and welcome. It's good to be with you again. Today, I would like to discuss, I think, a very universal topic that is applicable to everybody and especially um, for those who are working with neurodiversity, autism, or other issues that require more time and attention. The topic of anger is a big one. And the things that I want to talk about today are good for marriage, good for parenting, good for yourself and myself individually. And the principles are especially important to have down and understand for um, our situations that are already uh, requiring extra emotion and time and energy and focus. So, you know, as it goes with with almost all subjects and topics related to working with those who are neurodiverse and trying to fit into a world that is not created for them, there is almost always required extra time, extra patience, um, extra insight, extra practice, um, extra repetition, et cetera, et cetera. So understanding all principles more and better is really important. A lot of, um, a lot of people get by with decent parenting with typical kids and it requires excellent parenting with those who are neurodiverse, extra um, professional and effective mentoring, etc. So the thing about anger is that it, it comes and goes, it causes damage, it causes destruction, and ultimately anger is not an emotion. It is a feeling, but it's a physiological rush response, a fight or flight chemical um, feeling that goes throughout our bodies, depending on how how deep and how big it is and how much the emotion underneath it is. And so in discussing anger today, if you would like to take some notes, this would be a good one to actually take notes on um, because there's a very specific pattern I want to share with you that helps me understand how to respond and deal with anger so that it actually builds effectiveness, progression, and relationships instead of destroys them. So the the very first thing you would want to write or, or remember is that anger is a secondary feeling, never the primary. It might be the first thing you see. Someone just suddenly flips out and gets angry, but that is never the actual emotion going on. Anger is always secondary. Now, let me say that I like anger for a couple of things, although ultimately anger is destructive. I like anger for the fact that someone is sticking up for themselves or sticking up for something important. I like anger because it gives a backbone and advocating is a really important thing. So the first thing I would say is if somebody is angry when we shut them down and tell them they can't be angry, 
we are telling them that they can't have a backbone and that they can't have a voice and it's not it's not okay to advocate what we want to do is encourage those things without the destructive anger and what we're going to talk about today will give you the skills to do that and i think it's a really important skill for anyone who's a mentor or a parent um, so the the thing about anger is that it's a secondary emotion excuse me secondary feeling but one of the reasons people go right to anger is because it, it has such a strong physiological intensity component there's a rush there's an adrenaline um, i've i've seen people who are described as being addicted to anger who um, have an anger problem and that's usually um, indirect observation usually it's because they have learned that their physiological brain has learned how to go right to that fight or flight stance and it's a quick short fuse to sticking up for themselves now ultimately anger is destructive but there's a difference between um, conflicts and contentions and i want to explain that for a second when there's a problem it's a conflict my wife wants red i want blue my wife wants to save $500, I want to spend $500. Those are conflicts. They don't necessarily mean there's a problem or that something is bad or wrong. They're a part of everyday life and they're a part of every relationship. And in parenting, um, if you're trying to decide how to manage and make decisions about how to help um, your children, neurodiverse or not, if you have disagreements that turn from conflict into contentions that's when anger enters in and anger is a defense mechanism that destroys relationships anger is always contentious which is different than conflict um, if i have a contention with someone it means i have a problem with them with what they're saying that's different than i disagree or we see it differently so keeping the conflict in in um, in check and not letting it go to attack mode or fight or flight mode is really important. So the first way to do that is to stop when there's anger starting to come in and give yourself permission to feel. If anger is a secondary emotion, if you can get to the real feelings underneath and focus on those you will be successful so the most common way to look at it and this is the second thing you would write down is that underneath anger is always hurt now there are 20 or 30 common hurts that people have everything from being hungry and tired physically to being rejected and lonely um, hurts can include feeling isolated um, for teenagers disrespected and is a really big one um, feeling like they've they've had their choices taken away is a big hurt feeling um, controlled i guess would be the emotion although that's a description um, hangry is interesting because it describes perfectly that when you're hungry you get angry and it's because hunger is a type of hurt and any anything that doesn't feel good and it, and i don't mean hurt in the sense that a grown man is curled up into a ball hurting and crying and um, that type of hurt although it could be that i i just mean anything that feels wrong um 
anything that feels bad is an emotional hurt. So underneath anger is hurt. If if there's one thing I want you to remember from this discussion is that anger comes from hurt. And if you or someone you're with or someone you see is angry, the very first thought I want to come to your mind is, wow, they are hurting. Now, now I've tapped into my compassion. Now I've tapped into my real priorities and I won't go off as a robot or, or jump in and match them in their anger and try to stop it. So I want to tell a little story about um, a, a little girl. Let's, let's say a five-year-old little girl and the father comes home and the little girl is throwing a temper tantrum. She's angry. She's kind of screaming. She's She's kind of crying, so she's hurting, crying, angry, crying. She's throwing crayons, and she's stomping around saying, where is it, where is it, where is it? I can't find it, and just being so emotionally overwhelmed that she's acting out. Now, the dad, being a good husband and, and co-parent, wants to support the mom, and so he goes in there and shuts down the temper tantrum, and he he grabs her by the arms, not abusively, looks at her and says, stop yelling, stop throwing a temper tantrum and go sit in timeout. You are out of control. And the little girl looks at him and just bursts into tears and goes sits in timeout. And after the requisite five minute timeout, which is what all good parenting books say timeout should be is about one year per age. The little girl um, gets out of her chair and goes and picks up the crayons, puts them in the drawer and throws her papers away where she had been coloring. And then she goes into her room and closes the door and watches TV. Um, in that scenario, the father solved the anger problem. She was definitely taught that temper tantrums are not okay. And he fixed the behavior, and now he's a good dad, and he followed the parenting rules. And at the same time, he lost completely the, the point of parenting. And let me tell the same story from a different approach. Five-year-old girl throwing a temper tantrum. Dad comes home, sees that she's really out of control because he wants to be a good husband and a good father. He knows that connecting and meeting needs is way more important than focusing on the right behaviors and controlling behaviors. So he goes over and he gets down and on his knees, he, he says, hey, sweetie. And she doesn't hear him or respond. And she yells, I can't find it. And he said, hey, sweetie, I'm home. And she looked at him and says, and says I need the blue crayon. I can't find the blue crayon. It's nowhere. And dad said, hey, tell me, tell me why that's so important. What's hurting? And then she started to cry. And the anger broke and her emotions came out. And she said, I need the blue crayon. It's just important. And the dad said, well, if you're done yelling and screaming, maybe I can help you find it. And the little girl nodded her head, yes. And they went looking and they just couldn't find one anywhere. So dad went and got a new pack of crayons that they had up in the cupboards um, for backups and got a blue crayon out and gave it to her. And when he handed it to her, she gave him the biggest hug 
and said, thank you, thank you, I love you, I love you, and then ran back in and started coloring again. Now, the crayons were still around the room and needing to be picked up, and the dad knew that that was important, but he would do it later. About a half an hour later, um, dad and mom are in on the couch, and the little girl comes in and comes over and yells, I finished it, I finished it, look. And she holds up the picture with the proudest face in the world and says, see, do you know where it is? And it's a picture of mommy and daddy and the little girl holding hands on the beach, looking out into the ocean um, from behind. And she needed the blue crayon to draw the ocean just right. And it was clearly a vacation that they had had several months earlier. And they said, what is it? That looks like we went to the ocean. She, she said, yeah, I wanted to draw you a picture of my happiest time. And I, I really loved it there and I want to go back. But it's for you, Daddy. And she handed him the picture and had her sign her name on the bottom. And she crawled up in their laps in between them. And they oohed and out over it and gave her a ton of positive reinforcement and connection. And the dad felt love. And the mom felt love. And the daughter felt love. And in that scenario, the father really was a good father and husband. And he liked himself better at the end Although in the first scenario, he intellectually convinced himself he did the right thing behaviorally. The goal in resolving conflict and anger management is never to stop behavior. It's always to get to the real feelings underneath. And when it comes to marriage, the, the conflicts that we in it obviously will have always turn into either destructive contention where... The fighting and the yelling and the who's right and the who's wrong becomes more important than the relationship. Um, or as the couple resolves the conflict, like this father helped the little girl do in this scenario, um, it builds relationships. And the whole reason she was so angry is because of how much it hurt that she might not be able to finish that, that drawing. So underneath hurt, this is the third thing you would write. There's always a thought or a fear. So you have anger, which is a secondary feeling. You have the hurt emotion always underneath anger. And now you have a thought that accompanies the hurt. And the thought is usually a fear about something's going to be bad. And for the little girl, the fear was she wouldn't be able to finish the drawing. And she really wanted to. And it's important to identify all of these as you're going through a situation where there's a lot of anger. And if you will memorize these three things, anger, hurt, and fear, you will be a really great conflict um, resolver and you can avoid a lot of contention and relational destruction. So here's the cool thing. If you're angry about something, yes, you're hurting. Yes, there are fears. Let's say I lost um, a dollar. And I knew I had a dollar and now the dollar is gone. I'm not real angry because I'm not real hurt that I lost it. And I don't have a huge fear that, oh my gosh, I lost a dollar. My life is over. However, if I had a hundred dollar bill and I threw it in my pocket thinking I'll have to put it in my wallet when I get out, um, when I get to, to my office and later I realized that I lost a hundred dollar bill out of my pocket, I might be angry. It might hurt to lose that money because my fear would be I won't be able to use it for all the good things I wanted to use it for. The only time people get angry 
is the next things you would write down. It's it's only when they are hurting and have fears because they care about something, they value something, or they have a need for something. Not a need to do something, but a need for something. And so the little girl valued the picture and the memory and was so excited to share that with her parents. She got this great idea. She wanted to tell them how much she appreciated it without knowing that's what she was doing because it was just natural. She valued, cared about um, the, the trip and the vacation where she felt so close to her parents. So in, a, in, a, in the model, the thing if you can memorize is anger comes from hurt, hurts have fears, and those are your thoughts that you can change your control and choose, but your immediate fear is the one that comes. And then underneath that is something that you value, care about, or need. You could get angry because you value justice, and you could get angry on behalf of a cause or a group or a people. Um, you could get hung. You could get angry because you need food, you need sleep, you need security, you need acceptance. Um, or there's something that you value, and it's going wrong. Um, maybe you get angry because you value integrity and your child just lied to you or stole money. And that hurts to know that your child did something against your values. So that would be three examples of what you value, care about, and need. So if you can memorize those things and have your wits about you enough and have your heart lead instead of your head... Your head says, react, react, react. Your actions come out very quickly. With children, let's talk about them individually. If your child has a very short fuse, which typically means that the distance between the trigger, which is usually a hurt, the distance between the trigger and the reaction is so quick that they forget that there's a thought in there and that there is choice. And sometimes our brains get so deeply entrenched in the neural pathways of the anger result because it is a bit addictive and it, it digs a deep trench where the water keeps flowing down that same path uh, down the hill. So in our brains, our neural, our neural pathways literally grow strong like big muscles. And when there's a hurt, that big muscle's been used a hundred times before and it's going to keep using the same strong reaction unless we choose consciously to stop it. We can do that for ourselves and we can train those we mentor, parent, help, serve to change that neural pathway, which means the first thing we do when someone is angry is we, if possible, don't address the anger and get them to the hurt place right away. Someone's angry in a very non-confrontational, compassionate, confident approach, I say, hey, it looks like you're hurting. What's going on? It looks like something's wrong. What's wrong? Don't even address the anger if you can help it. Now, if they are breaking things, you you might have to try to stop them from breaking things. But just know that if you intervene on the anger, they will think that you're trying to get them to stop caring or feeling or hurting. And that's not the goal. So you might have to say, Hey, you're hurting. I want to know what's wrong, but I, I, I want to talk to you. And it's hard to talk to you when you're yelling or it's hard to talk to you when you're breaking things. Hey, buddy, I want to help you. It looks like you're really hurting. Um, do you think you could stop 
that for a second and just talk to me about what's wrong. It looks like you're really hurting. And we train them to go to the hurt. And if we do that as parents to young children, they grow up learning that there's actually a solution. Now, if I'm angry and I tell myself, quit being angry, quit being angry, quit being angry, that is not healthy. It's not a helpful solution. It's not effective at all because that would just mean stuff all the things you care about, value, or need. That doesn't work. So if you're angry, it does work to say, I must be really hurting. And when someone says, well, can you just stop being angry? No, you can't, but you can choose to be more honest and have integrity with what you're feeling. And you're not actually angry as much as you are hurting. Anger is a defense mechanism. It's a secondary reactive result. The primary original thing is first and foremost, the emotion of hurt. And then you have thoughts about that hurt. So we can say, I can't just deny being angry, but really I can just accept that I'm hurting. And if we will choose to go to the hurt, you will be able to let go of the anger much more quickly. You'll be way less likely to destroy relationships or things, your job, goals, whatever it is. Um, and there's way more integrity in what's actually going on. Anger is never the goal. It's never the focus. It's never the real issue. When we make anger the issue, we do a huge disservice in helping our children resolve their conflicts in life. Now, with someone who doesn't have a lot of great insight, like uh, a child or someone who's neurodiverse that isn't great at understanding emotions or social situations, and they're just angry, um, it takes a little more practice and a little more patience. It requires us to have more compassion, even though it's the hundredth time and you've gone through it with them before. I guess, I guess if it if it takes some, you know, takes twenty times of practicing, helping them get down to the hurt before they learn it, then it was worth it. If it takes a thousand times, and they still never get to a place where they're good at insight and hurt you've done your job. And I guess I don't really think it matters as much if they ever get get the point and learn how to resolve their, their conflicts and not be angry, but it definitely helps us feel like we're doing a good job as mentors and parents. And it really helps us be compassionate. And most of the time, actually every time, I've seen um, those who are neurodiverse feel just as deeply as the rest of us. They have just as many emotions, just as many feelings. Their comprehension and management of it is the issue, not the amount of emotions and feelings. So with us being in a compassionate place, with firm boundaries when necessary, when we have insight and we don't get up into a fight with them, they learn that we want them to just be okay. They learn that they are loved. They learn that they are safe and that actually getting angry is ineffective. And I've never seen it not work. I've just seen it take longer with some than others. Um, it, for a second, I want to deviate into the difference between someone who's angry and someone who's throwing a temper tantrum. A temper tantrum is a little different. There's not as much hurt under it. Temper tantrum is usually sheer habit. Um, someone who has worked themselves into, um, if I throw a temper tantrum, I get what I want. This is a tool. It's a conscious learned tool that is different than a typical anger situation. So 
you would do deal with that and approach that a little bit differently. If it's just a temper tantrum and you know they're not their tears aren't real, they're angry, their anger is forced, it's still wise to go the road of compassion, but the boundaries and actually how you intervene might be different. You might ignore it and walk away. You might talk to them and say, I I want to help you. And the way you're acting right now makes it so I can't because it won't work. And I, I don't want to reinforce you throwing a temper tantrum and then you getting what you need or want because throwing a temper tantrum is not good for anybody. So when you're done, come talk to me and I'd like to help you. And you might walk away. So temper tantrums are different. And that's probably a topic for another time. Someone who's really angry is really hurting. And we know the difference between a real cry and a forced cry, a temper tantrum and someone who's really in crises. So let's go back to um, maybe a young adult on the spectrum um, who is fine, 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 and then something blows. And you're like, wow, that came out of left field. Why on earth are they freaking out? And a lot of times we think something just small just set them off. A lot of times, their anger is real and when they were happy 10 minutes before and now they're just really in an angry hurting crises it's usually not just one small thing it's usually 10 or 100 small things that they didn't realize was building up and it got to a tipping point and it blew because a lot of times there isn't great insight or awareness or understanding and so they don't necessarily have the skills just like we never did until we learned them um, to understand when things are building up and hurting and so insight and awareness um, might be harder for those who are neurodiverse but that doesn't mean they don't feel as much and care as much and hurt as much and have as many fears they do maybe even more actually so it's our job to be in a good place for us and then know how to be in a good place and stay in a good place for them and if we can't be that person for them it's time to tag team or take a break and you know bring someone else in you know you go to the you go to the bars or you go to the ropes and you tag tag your partner in or tag someone else in and say i am not in a good place um, and sometimes we're not generally speaking if you start to approach angry situations with the thought that, well, this is about hurting, and I do care that they're hurting, what is it that they're hurting about? And I help them resolve their concerns or meet their needs or whatever it is that, that actually is going on, understand their thinking, their thought, their fear. Um, after a while, that becomes, it's way more effective so it can replace the anger and stick. Um, Anger's the easy, simple, quick fix rush that they learn works. And it's our job to help them change that rut and build a deeper um, walkway or you know, creek bed river in a separate place down the mountain, the direction we want the water to flow. Because emotion is going to flow like water. It's just a matter of where is it going to go. If it jumps into the angry um, creek bed, and starts flowing it's hard to switch it but with practice you can dig the other creek bed even deeper so that the natural flow turns into resolving conflict in the end if you can actually resolve conflict and avoid contention 
relationships with yourself are better because you like who you are. The joy that comes from the attachments of resolving conflict can't be beat. Couples who never fight, typically one of them's a doormat or they both don't care anymore. And a couple who comes in to marriage counseling and they're not fighting, they're not angry, um, they're like, yeah, we, we wanted to come to counseling, you know, just because we, we feel like it's important to give it a shot before we get divorced. Um, you know, we've been living together for the last two years and we don't fight. We're roommates. The problem with that is there's no passion. That means there's no hurt. There's no caring. There's no valuing. They've given up. But a couple who comes in and they're really angry, I know there's passion and I can use that hurt. And I can use the fact that they still care about things and value and need. Otherwise, they wouldn't be so angry. Um, so in some ways, I like a couple that's spitting mad versus a couple that has no anger at all um, in that sense. And a child who has been shut down and taught so strongly behaviorally that they no longer have passion because that's easier for us as parents if they don't care, if they don't get upset, if they don't cry, if they don't have fears or angers or temper tantrums. Sometimes group homes or even parents who are in crises will over-medicate their child just so they can get some peace. And I have no judgment for that. Um, I don't know if they're doing it on purpose, but I think group homes know full well um, that the child has lost a lot of their, their personality and they're just looking for lack of conflict and lack of conflict because somebody is a zombie or they've given up or one partner in a relationship is a doormat is not the goal. Avoiding conflicts has never been the goal. Um, avoiding contention is a good start, but it's not the goal either. Resolving conflict and becoming um, the way to resolve problems, meet needs, and encourage people to develop and value what they value, care about what they care about, that builds attachment, intimacy, closeness, appreciation, and fondness. Um, I, and as a side note, when police officers or people in crises work through a lot of conflicts together and resolve a lot of things together, they build a deep relationship. And there's a lot of um, affairs that go on or relationships that end up happening and becoming romanticized and physical, sexual, because they connected and the attachment feeling was so great when they did these things together. Not just spending time together, although that's dangerous, but really connecting through overcoming and sharing hard things and doing hard things and uh, resolving conflicts together. That builds intimacy. And so you kind of have to be careful um, with that tool because it's powerful. The next time you control your own anger and allow yourself to feel hurt in, in the honest sense of I'm feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, hopeless. Um, my fear is I'll never be a good enough parent. I'll never be able to make a difference. What if I make the wrong decision? What if my child never this, never that, always this, always that. If you can identify that and say, well, that's a valid fear and it hurts, what is it that I care about? Well, I care about my child going to college or living independently. And I haven't lost that or given that up yet because I still think there's a chance they could do it. And for some, that's true. And for others, it's an unrealistic 
goal and hope, and you might have to grieve that loss so that you're no longer hurting, so you're no longer angry when they miss another test score or they don't complete a class or they drop out of college. There's so many things we value if they're if they're not appropriate values. We only can figure that out through trying. Any parent that just says, oh, good, thank heaven, my kid was diagnosed with ADHD um, or nonverbal learning disorder, so I can quit caring about college. I'm going to quit putting money into that savings account. I, I never hear that. That never happens. They're always like, well, man, I, I really hope, I want them to do it. I think they can do it, and I'm going to keep trying until they do. Sometimes we reassess and readjust what we value and care about and what we think they need for us to be happy. <laughs> and sometimes it is about us when we get angry. The hardest time for me is when someone I love is hurting because I can't fix it or I don't know how to fix it. And I'd rather hurt myself than have somebody else hurting. And that makes me really cranky. If my child is sick for a while and they're in real pain for more than a few hours, I can hardly take it. And I get Papa Bear syndrome. I, I just want to go in and fix it and control it and change it. It is really hard. Um, well, that's what relationships are. That's what love is. That's what attachment comes with is the risk of hurting and the risk of caring. Um, I hope you can remember anger, hurt, and fear because we care about value and need. And if we can do that, we can communicate and interact in ways that resolve conflicts, meet needs, and build relationships. And that's what I want for you to continue to have relationships of influence and joy in your life. Thanks for joining me, and we will talk to you the next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Autism and Neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie. If you want to learn more about our work, come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E.com. dot